Welcome back to episode 73 of Anime Deep Dive, the podcast that does in-depth reviews of different anime series. Due to the extent in which plot points will be discussed, a spoiler warning is now in effect. This is a spoiler review, so if you haven't seen the series and are only looking for a recommendation, there will be a timestamp in the episode description you can skip to called Final Thoughts. This section will be spoiler-free where I get my overall opinion on the series and whether or not I think it's worth your time to watch it. So with that out of the way, let's deep dive into Seraph of the End. Vampire Rain was released in 2015 by Wit Studio. It has 12 episodes and comes in both sub and dub. I watched in dub. The story starts as a virus unleashed upon humanity infects everyone over the age of 13, allowing creatures previously living in secret to emerge. Vampires take control and begin kidnapping human children with a promise to provide for all who sustain them by donating blood. Years pass before a group of kids attempt to escape the fangs in hopes of freedom. Unfortunately, a young boy named Yu is the only one to make it out alive. After witnessing the slaughter of everyone important to him, Yu vows to destroy all bloodsuckers when taken in by the Japanese Imperial Army, a military organization fixated on restoring human dominance. Yu hated living in the vampire's domain and never attempted to hide his displeasure, but I don't blame him. If I was abducted and enslaved, I'd be a pain in the ass too. Yu already has some emotional detachment from his father trying to kill him and his mother taking her own life, but as he connects with the other orphans, it subsides which made having them ripped away even more difficult to deal with. He watches them get brutally murdered and was so desperate to save Mika, he drags him across the floor with a missing arm and a hole through his chest. He was most likely in shock and didn't want to abandon the guy, but getting him outside wasn't going to fix those wounds. But that feeling of helplessness and not wanting to lose anyone again drives you to get stronger. Humans can make contracts with demons to increase their power, and I get you will do anything to eradicate the fangs, but this obsession blinds him. Running straight at a demon after being told not to was stupid, and I don't understand why he wanted Shinua's cursed scythe or the demon axe. He's so efficient with a katana, switching to a different weapon type doesn't make sense. I was happy he ended up with a cursed sword, but getting it wasn't easy. Asher and Maru pulled out all the tricks, going straight for the dead family, and twist the knife speaking through the children. You forgot about us and made new friends, you. You abandoned us to go to school, train, and have a life? If it's not true, then stay with us forever. That's one hell of a guilt trip. The first friend you makes after losing everyone is Yoichi. He wants to join the army and take revenge on vampires for killing his sister. With how similar their stories are, I was surprised by Yu's advice that Yoichi not seek vengeance. Then we see it's his way of protecting him, assuming he'll only be a liability on the battlefield. Yoichi does come off as a pushover, but had some stones tackling the escaped vampire in the classroom. I just don't think one act of bravery warrants someone being placed in the military. He's put on the extermination unit with no experience when you trained for years to get the same opportunity. Choosing the bow as his curse gear was smart. It's not only good to have a ranged option on the team, but if we're honest, Yoichi would get killed instantly on the front lines with a sword. And I really enjoyed his contract ceremony because other demons try to convince their host to believe something that has merit but isn't completely true, where his doubled down on facts. It's like you have survivor's guilt about the incident with your sister. You don't really want revenge. You're timid, weak, and avoid conflict. Which is all true. Yoichi didn't even try to fight back when his body's taken over. And when he does get the chance to take control, it's immediately ruined by him crying and running into Yu's arms. Shinua was Yu's overseer during his suspension. She loved putting him in awkward situations and did it in a way to keep herself entertained. Like mocking his score before showing it to the entire class, or scooping up Yoichi forcing Yu to partner with Shiho during the teamwork exercise. Then there's my personal favorite, not telling him fighting would extend his suspension until right before getting socked in the mouth, which is only one of the many times he smacked around. 
You sucker punched by bullies, gets knocked unconscious when Yoichi gave him a hug. He's blasted into the safety fence by Shinoa. Gurren's always punching him, and Shiho marks his face during their first encounter. Speaking of, who punches someone after bumping into them? Shiho's short temper and attitude is worse than Yu's, but at least he has a strong rival. It's not like Yoichi was going to fill that role. Shiho's motivation is to find a cure for the apocalypse virus because it's infected his younger sister, and he joins the military for better access to medical care. When it came to his contract ceremony, the demon's manipulation reminded me of Jun and Yahiro from Guilty Crown. An older sibling having hidden resentment about taking care of the sick younger sibling and not being able to acknowledge it. I did find it funny for all his talk Shiho had to cheat against Garen's demon. Yoichi's high stability kept him safe, Yu does well facing it, then there's Shiho whining about his heart and using a desk to stay upright. Shiho does come out with some nice cursed gear though. I love his dual blades but I don't see the point of having them attached by a wire. He never used it in combat, the most he did was pull a sword back by yanking on the cord. I wanted it to double as a garrote and choke a vampire out hitman style, or my ultimate fantasy swing a blade around while holding the string and get some ranged attacks going. He also put both swords on the same side when it's more practical and I'd imagine comfortable to have one on each hip. Soon as our trio has gear they're sent to the front lines with minimal training, it goes from them constantly being told they're not ready to getting thrown into combat. Gurin clearly doesn't believe in easing someone in. The battlefield is the best place to grow stronger as long as you don't end up dead. That's not the kind of insight I'd want from my lieutenant colonel. I'm curious if joining a squad has a height requirement. If so, Shinawa and Mitsuba must barely make the cut. Mitsuba arriving right before the first mission seems careless, especially when teamwork is pushed so heavy. The guys went through the trial of getting cursed gear together and bonded in class, which Shinoa was a part of. Having someone new join and be another mouthpiece would throw off the dynamic. Coming in late, Mitsuba's story was bound to be rushed, but we got her entire reason for being strict about the rules in one episode. She was by far the worst done character and was only helpful once, pointing out the little girl was bait in a vampire trap. When it comes to Mika, I hate his sheep mentality. He has no issue being enslaved if he can continue living with the other orphans. He's spineless kissing the vampire's feet when Yu steps out of line, and I get they don't have the strength to fight an adult vampire, but at least Yu has some dignity. Mika's out here giving up neck to nobles for some extra food. The majority of my issues with this series stem from Mika. I don't care what anyone says, the map was obvious bait. Who has the schematics to their city laying in the open of their home right now? I'm guessing nobody. Even if the directions weren't a trap, stealing the antique pistol doubling the chances for Fair to notice something is missing was idiotic. But at least he's a man of his word, he kept telling the kids they were saying bye to this world and he wasn't wrong. The moron got his entire family annihilated. The next issue is with all the damage he sustained from Farid, Mika should have died from blood loss way before Cruel had a chance to save him. Especially with the time passed from his parting words with you to Cruel's arrival and fight with Farid. No way he holds out that long with those injuries. And during a flashback I was surprised how patient Cruel was when Mika refused to feed. If that was anyone else, I'm sure she'd take their head off for the disrespect. So if Mika is somehow special, Cruel should have done a better job of protecting him from vampires like Farid. I understand Mika needs Cruel's blood and can't run away from the vampires, but that doesn't mean he has to play nice with them. He should hate vampires, but is fighting for them. He wears their robes, attends their meetings, and helps on missions when he should spend his time searching for you. In Shinjuku, he's chilling with Farid, talking about you, but how are they certain he's still alive? No one else knows what he looks like, so you could be getting fed on by a random vampire while they stand around gabbing. Like, where's the urgency to find your friend? 
Another annoyance is his back-and-forth relationship with Farid. I get Farid enjoys tormenting Mika, which would make anyone pissy, but he's only trained for a few years compared to Farid's decades of experience. So I didn't see the point of pulling a sword on him and acting tough. I thought Farid would watch Mika in an instant if he so desired, especially after seeing him send Gurren flying with a smack. Then Mika takes Farid's arm off, and it's like if you have the ability to incapacitate the guy, why not kill him? But Mika doesn't feel Farid's responsible for what happened to his family, he blames himself. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. If Farid wasn't a prick, the fan would still be alive, so be mad at him. Or at the very least, don't protect him in battle. Gurren's experiment gives credit to Mika's belief that humans are using you, but what is his evidence? If it's simply information he received from the vampires, why would he believe them? They killed his family and told him the virus would infect anyone who went to the outside world when that's clearly a lie. I just don't understand why he puts his trust in them or why he cooperates with the vampires. My only confusion not related to Mika is Sheena was made head of the extermination unit by Gurren. At first she was shaping up to be a good leader and I was surprised she was able to reel you in when they first came across vampires. But then she cowered in fear and collapsed when Crowley let the squad live. After all her bluster and the respect Gurren showed, I thought Shinoa was a seasoned vet, but she's relieved they didn't have to fight. Then Demon Yu went for Crowley first when he's feeding on Shinoa and she was the one to bring him back to human form. I thought this explained why Gurren put such an emphasis on bonding and why Shinoa is chosen to lead the team, so she could control you. I assumed Shinoa was in on everything, but it turns out she had no idea. Which again left me baffled wondering if Gurren has a master plan or if he's just lucky things turned out this way. Getting to the action, once free of the vampires, you wasted no time becoming a badass. Running up the first monster slicing through its middle and landing with his face reflected on his blade while blood rained down was awesome. And with only four years of training, dodging the vampire's attacks in the classroom, taking off an arm and cutting her midsection without a cursed weapon was impressive. The only thing he could have done better is when the vampire was pushing him towards the window, he should have fell back and rolled using the momentum to kick her off the balcony. But what I loved about this fight is having the escaped vampire tear through the school shows even when alone and in a weakened state, these creatures are no joke. I mean, Farid was so quick killing the first little girl, I didn't even know what happened. So after witnessing his speed and power, Cruel coming in to slice his arm off and folding him with a spinning head kick, let me know why she's queen. I always say don't tell me a character is strong, show me, which is an aspect this series does well, especially for the vampires. Usually when someone's on guard duty and hears a noise, they continue on, but the patrol in the sewer actually went down the tunnel to investigate. Showing in addition to being strong, the vampires are intelligent. They're also unapologetically savage. When two children were drawing on the street with chalk, a vamp stepped on one's hand when he could have easily avoided it. You and Shiho didn't have to wait long to test their cursed gear. I found it funny after all the talk of building bonds and relying on others, they're tasked with Yoichi's execution. These Goombas taking on a demon after literally just receiving their weapons is hard enough to believe, but they dodge every arrow and even disarm it. It was also stupid of them to give any advantage away by declaring no harm would be dealt to Yoichi's body. The demon could focus solely on offense with no concern for defense, but still ended up losing. Even quick action pieces like you going two-on-one against the vampires in the abandoned subway were great, but the ending battle was disappointing. Each side had huge numbers and I wanted an all-out war, but the majority of scenes were swords locked up. The only good part is the reunions. Mika and you, Yoichi and the vampire who drank his sister, everyone's back together. And when you sprouts the demon wing, it looks like a rotting tree, but I was like, okay, here we go, time to kill some vampires. Then nothing happens. I have to agree with Farid, he didn't do much. 
A speculation I want to mention is I can't explain why, but I think Akane also survived the attack from Farid. I watched her throat get slit like the others, but I couldn't shake the feeling she wasn't killed. My uncertainty comes from knowing her name, where I have no clue who any of the other children are. They all blended together where she stood out in the short time we saw her. I'm probably looking too far into it, I just feel like she's alive. As for the production, when a vampire is killed, the ash particles looked amazing. And I was excited when the story began because the backgrounds were straight out of the 90s. From the plane crashing to the streets covered in fire, it looked awesome. But the characters were very new gen. I wish they were blended to match the environment and had the entire series look vintage. The military uniforms are sick. The green accents match the demon weapons and a creative choice I like is how every character never has the same pieces. Some days they wear the hat and cloak, other days they don't. The gas station destroyed when you transforms into a demon was the only shot this entire season that looked bad, which is very impressive. The opening's music is cool. When I imagine it performed live, I like to envision someone with shutter shades playing an electric keyboard surrounded by smoke, and Cruel doing pirouettes on blood feathers while the vocals come in with the I don't want nobody to get killed is horrifying. The intro is another shining example of why not to watch openings because of spoilers. Mika's grown so you know he's alive. I assumed he didn't die but where he's only brought back in the third episode's ending, it would have been cool just as you forgot about him he's reintroduced. When it comes to the voice acting, anytime I watch a series in dub I feel the need to explain myself. My desk chair was broken at the time and I was hunched over with no support reading subtitles. I decided to listen in dub and plan to watch and sub for the review, but I had something that's never happened before. I didn't like the sub. Shinawa sounded too light in Japanese, I prefer her dub voice much more, and I recognized the English voice but couldn't place it. Thinking back to previous dubs, I convinced myself it was because Felicia Angel was also Shimiki from Love Tyrant, but the more I listened, I knew that's not where I heard it. Then I was finishing my review for Copcraft and looked up T-Learner's voice actress and the matching name hit me right away. I felt like an idiot because I watched two series so close together where the female leads are voiced by the same person and didn't make the connection. Cruel's voice should have been sinister and threatening in my opinion. Her dub voice actress Monica Rial sounds like a high-pitched child. And her declaration the vampires were going to war wiping out the Japanese Imperial Army is the least intimidating thing ever. When I saw Monica was Cruel's voice actress my heart sank, I just dissed her a few weeks back in my review of Maid-sama. I'm clearly not a fan of her work. Japanese voice actress Oyuki did a better job with Cruel but I still wanted a deeper tone. Keeping on deeper tones, you faced Oshiro Maru as Black Fog and he sounded like a child. Give him a demonic voice so it's like, I will lend you my power. Dubs in general have the issue of lacking emotion and line delivery and Chris Burnett, the voice of Yoichi, is the best example. At one point he said, come on guys, stop fighting. Finally in episode 4 after Mika saved the little girl from a monster, he says a memory surfaces and a flashback to him as a child. It sounded like a transition line was read off the script and kept in the final cut. I checked the subversion, it did something similar, but the wording is better. Now let's get into the nitpicks. Gurren finds you outside immediately after he escaped the vampire's nest and is like, there's that child of prophecy we've been waiting on. I think he should have found you passed out in the snow after collapsing from exhaustion. Snatching him up right away is too convenient. I get you can't fight the bullies or his time away from the military will be prolonged. But he does the guy's errands afterwards, like take the ass whooping like a man and move on. He shouldn't let those clowns inconvenience him further. During the classroom vampire fight, all I could think of is what kind of civilian high school allows students to keep a pistol and katana in their locker. 
The gun I can easily see being snuck in, but the sword couldn't be concealed, it's too big to fit in a bag. Shiho gets worked by some vampires and questions if his group's weak without you, then he complains after being saved. Saying you doesn't believe they can protect themselves when he just questioned their strength too, the fake bastard. Mitsuba's curse gear is a giant bottle opener. I'd be curious to see what drew her to that weapon during the selection. And I didn't like how her and Shiho blocked gunfire. They just held their weapon stationary and not a single bullet passed through. The sole issue I have with a vampire's weapons is swords requiring blood like Crowley's are cool, but they have the drawback of being attached. Spikes busting through the knuckles is awesome, but you can't switch hands quickly if needed. Helicopters are destroyed by soldiers with bows and arrows. The girls explain it's enchanted gear, but I call bullshit on those dinky things bringing down a chopper. Humans would yell out while attacking, giving away their position. You did it and so did the redhead chick with gauntlets. Farad even said he'd be dead if Gurren kept his mouth shut when Shinya fired the blue tigers at him. Miku wastes so much time telling you to trust him, he could have given a full explanation which might prompt you to run off with him. Gurren always brushes you off, but he's a secret weapon, you'd think you'd want to keep him close. In the final episode, Gurren signs a document, but the letters appear contradictory to the pen's movement, that always annoys me. Finally, Boshino and Shiho call the unit a family far too quickly, it was weird. Best girl waifu and harem. Best girl is short and sweet. Shinoa had no competition. I'm totally down with her philosophy of knock up as many people as you can. The population is dwindling and needs growth. Shinoa is not a waifu to me and the only lady I'd want in my harem is Sayuri, the class instructor. Final thoughts. Seraph of the End is a fun watch. It shifts quickly from the first half of Here's the World Train for Survival to the second half which is all out war. The action is sparse but definitely a highlight and the animation is consistent throughout. I would recommend this series to anyone looking for a kill-all vampire story. Alright, that's going to be it for this week's review. Hope to catch you in the next one. Bye.